0: All right. Good morning. Today's scripture is James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops.
1: We are nearing the end of the letter of James. We only have one text left, which we'll cover next week. And at the end of letters, as James is doing here, in the New Testament, it is common for them to be listing various thematic summaries or reminders or even personal anecdotes. Like Romans 16 is a great example of the personal, where he is giving greetings to lots of different individuals, asking for materials to be delivered, whereas some books stay at a more thematic level and just hit on some themes they've been talking about or significant reminders that a pastor would want the, their people, their congregations to know And they hit on those themes. And and clearly prayer is a big one. Now, before we jump into prayer, you just need to know the default that probably a lot of us, again, this might not be everyone in the room, but if you've been raised in a Christian church for a while, if you've got some Christian experience, when the topic of prayer comes, the immediate sense can be guilt. And we we, we, we being the church often guilt and pressure, manipulate in some kind of way. That is not what this text is intending to do at all in fact i even titled it let them pray because the solution that james is giving for each of the snares he lists is let them pray that that's not actually a command that's an invitation so think of the difference and kids kids get this first right you could say clean your room that's a command or you could say let's go get ice cream that's an invitation one sounds very sad or a bummer And one is like, absolutely yes. Ice cream it is. Let's go get ice cream. So every time you hear that, let them language. Even the grammar is telling you. The the grammar of the original language is it's an exhortation. Give it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to respond and care for you. Do you see? Do you feel the difference? So before we jump into the details and talk about prayer, I wanted you to know that this is a text of invitation. That your loving creator and savior and Lord wants you to be in relationship with him and to bring your, your, your sadness and your joys, your struggles and your blessings to him as part of your walk in relationship with him. Well, we should probably, as we often do, pray ourselves before we talk about the text that deals With prayer, so bow your heads with me if you would. Father, we want to come to your text week after week, and we regularly address you and ask you to minister to us, to open our eyes to the wondrous things of your word. To teach, rebuke, and correct, and train us in righteousness. To comfort those who are brokenhearted. Sometimes to convict those who are hardhearted we always want the text, your word to its message, its tone its intent to be received so we ask that again that you would help us understand what prayer is and how it works and when to pray you are such a kind God instead of just telling us about an available blessing we have in relationship with you, you teach us to trust ourselves to you you invite us to give hard things to you. Help us to have that posture as we look at this text today. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, verse thirteen is significant, and you'll notice that it starts with a, giving you a bunch of options, a couple of options, and it's they're rhetorical questions, and they're meant to be broad. They're, they're meant to be inclusive of a lot of scenarios. It starts with this phrase, is anyone among you in trouble? That word, that Greek word for trouble could just be translated as suffering. So it's not like trouble with the law kind of trouble. Is any of you dealing with trials? Is anybody dealing with some kind of afflictions? Like what's a hard thing in your life right now? That's as vague as the term is intended to be. So for any of us here dealing with that, or you, you're not going to raise your hand and like say, me, but you might be saying, that's totally what I'm feeling as I come to church today. Look at the solution James immediately gives. Let them pray. Remember, it's not clean your room, it's let's go get ice cream. Take it to the Lord. The, the prayer might be about deliverance from some kind of trouble, trial, affliction. It might be, strength or perseverance, whatever it is. The point is not to narrow the options, but to say there could be so many different things that a room filled with this many people could be bringing to this gathering. And the text is inviting you to take it to the Lord. Let them pray. But that might not be you at all. You actually might have joys in your life Rather than being on the road marked with suffering, the world's the way that it should be. You're, you're convertible driving with the sun in your face. It's a good moment right now in this season of life or this week in particular. So the text covers that too. God knows all situations. He says, is anyone happy? Happy doesn't imply that necessarily everything is going well. M- more like that there's joy in your heart. In fact, it could even be that there is some Kind of underwriting difficulty that's going on in your life or some kind it's not like life is perfect but you have a sense of gratitude something that caused you to be thankful fitting week for that right? you're, you're thankful to the Lord without saying life's good no issues whatsoever I didn't even know there was gravity no you know there's gravity life's got its burdens but God is good and you feel that look at the solution let them sing songs of praise. Now, I want you to be aware of some of this. is very much kind of Bible awareness. This is called parallelism, meaning the first exhortation is actually synonymous with the second. It's the same kind of thing. That means the text is teaching us that singing is a form of prayer. Think about that for a second. Like, I think we sometimes make, kind of shrink or minimize what prayer is. Like it's got to be in a private room. There has to be a closet, maybe, right? Or it's got to be for 90 minutes laying prostrate. Like actually, when you came in today and you spent 15, 20 minutes, whatever we did, singing songs to God of gratitude, you were praying. You were communicating collectively as one body, the church to our Savior and Lord that He is worthy of praise, that He is our cornerstone. Like literally, we will end our service today singing a, a well-known hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. And, it, it, and maybe after God's Word has been proclaimed and, and, and grappled with, it will even mean more when you realize you're not singing in the sense of just using vocal cords. It is a version of prayer. What's beautiful is it's a collective prayer. So all of God's people pray at the same time. Ferris Lord Jesus. And notice the assumption of this text. Christians should pray for lots of different things and in lots of different ways. But the text is wanting you to feel, it's not being, this is it, it's either happy or troubled, there's no, man. that's not what the text is to be read saying. The text is saying you could be dealing with severe affliction, What what should you do, child of God? Pray. You could be so overjoyed holding your new grandchild, getting this beautiful common grace promotion at work, just enjoying a fall day and burning leaves. What should you do? Declare it to the Lord. Notice that relational dynamic. Too often we seem to think that we reach out to God when things are bad. But what about when things are good? Wouldn't it be sad or maybe even reflection of our own feeling of self-sufficiency? When it's, when it's bad, boom. Then I call God because I need my cosmic butler and divine therapist. But when it's good, I can just ignore him. That's not the posture of the Christian. The Christian knows that for from him and through him and to him are all things. So when things are going poorly and I'm suffering, I reach out to the Father. When every single meal, every single moment if my mind comes to it, it is because of the gracious provision of a Heavenly Father who declares His goodness to us in a million ways. That's why I like that word common grace that the church has used for a while. Because it reminds us as Christians, even if it was common, like a beautiful view or a sunset or the rain on our crops or the food on our table, or the hands that work to earn even that food, it is part of God's provision for us. It's never removing God from the equation. Think about singing as a version of prayer. I, I, I've, I've shared with probably most of you the story that before we had our three kids, we, Laura and I wrestled with our own version of infertility, and, and I, I still remember the day when, we. this is back when we were in Scotland, and, and I was in grad school still, and I think I purchased probably $50 worth of pregnancy tests, which is ridiculous, but whatever, uh, at the chemist, right? That's pharmacy in the UK. And uh, when we saw the, the, the positive pregnancy, literally, I mean, there was no planning. There wasn't a consultation. There wasn't an order of service. We literally, I just, I just remember kind of kneeling back and sitting in a bathroom, of all places, And we just started singing. And what what came to mind was just songs that we'd learned over the years. Most of them hymns that we had sung growing up in the church. Again, a beautiful reason to have our children singing songs with us. Because in that moment, at my, what was I, 29-year-old self, I was singing songs I'd heard all the way growing up as a kid. And we just sang. And and, I mean, I I only remember this, this absolute being blown away by God's gracious provision, which he did not need to do. Felt undeserved, huge joy. And we just sang. One of us singing better than the other, that's to be fair. But God, I think, accepted mine too. But we just sang. And this summer, back in June, when we visited... St. Andrew's again, we stood under that, and I remember I pointed up, I pointed to my son, who's 18, moving on 19, and I said, 19 years ago, I was sitting right under that window singing praises when we became aware that mom was pregnant with you. That, and he goes, that was, the win- that was the window. I still remembered the window. I wanted him to see the window. Again, I don't know if we think of prayer that way. The Bible clearly communicates that. Sing songs of praise. This list of hypotheticals, if we want to call it that, this this list that tries to include from the most extreme difficult to the most praiseworthy moment of gratitude is meant to communicate that Christians should make prayer an instinctive reaction. Again, be careful of the guilt there. Think of the invitation. An instinctive reaction in almost every circumstance. Like when you're in relationship with the Father, in the Son and and, and through the power of the Spirit, this instinctive reaction can become that you communicate with the Father regularly. And, And if this sounds foreign, like, James, are you... You serious? I mean, is that really what you're saying? Well, let me give you another guy, the guy named the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians 6.18, he says this, And pray in the Spirit on all... Okay, he didn't say on some occasions. He said on all occasions. And even that language of in the Spirit, again, implies this relationship, this communing with God, this living life in relationship to God so that in all circumstance there is an instinctive reaction to commune with God, to communicate with God. Again, Paul, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. See the same kind of of inclusiveness in regard to the kinds of prayers? He adds, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Paul says this: rejoice always. How about this? Verse 17. This is 1 Thessalonians 5:17. It's two words. Pray continually. That's the entire verse. Pray continually. Verse 18 in 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice, when we often talk about God's will, we're like, who am I supposed to marry? Like, what job am I supposed to take? Like, if God would just make his will known, brother and sister, he just did. What is God's will for you? What does he desire for you? He wants you to pray continuously in Christ Jesus. Again, be careful how you respond to this. Some of us might hear this and say, I, 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 okay, I hear it, I know the truth, and then we just kind of move on, and we, we miss the invitation. And others, maybe depending on your background and the guilting, right, and the checklist Christianity of, of kind of the rules and regulations of what you've got to do to walk with Jesus, you're going to feel guilt. Oh, man, I don't ever do that. Oh, Mickey's killing me. Like, no, that's not what the intention of this text is. This text is not clean your room. It's let's go get ice cream. The text is saying, hey, child. Right now, God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows if you're super happy and full of joy. And he's with you in that. He knows if you're broken and struggling. He's with you in that. He has literally given you a share of his life so that you could see the world and experience with his eyes, through Christ, and in the power of the Spirit. Let's get ice cream. By praying instinctively, continuously, regularly, in all circumstances, So that if I'm walking down the hall and I'm going to a tough meeting, I'm praying. When I come out of a meeting and it went well, I praise the Lord. When I have a plate of food in front of me that I may have, by God's common grace gift, earned every little morsel for, I acknowledge that if my hands hadn't worked or my legs hadn't worked or my brains hadn't worked or the economy didn't work or a lot of other things didn't work, I'd have nothing. When I go to the doctor, I pray. When I'm driving in a car, I pray. When I look at a child or my grandchild, when I see my brother or sister, as Paul commands, when I'm seeing Christians, I pray. When I drive by a neighbor's house, I think, Lord, I don't even know their name. My, my grandmother used to ask us to pray every time there'd be an ambulance. Every time, and I, I remember being a kid like, oh, grandma, I mean, I don't even know who this person is. And it would be the habit. And I remember as we got older, she, so she would pray. And then as we got older, she would ask one of us to pray. And I just remember several situations. I, don't, I, mean, I didn't know a name. I didn't know an issue. But I, pray. And I would see my grandmother get kind of sensitive to that. Like maybe it's, maybe it's a heart attack. Maybe there's a spouse riding in a car with somebody. Maybe it's a child. And still to this day when I see an ambulance, I can hear my grandmother saying, pray, pray. And that fits Paul's language, doesn't it? So notice that instinctive reaction of somebody who's walking with Jesus. Walking in the Spirit. Romans 8. Well, Christians, cleaning your room is fine. Go for it. But today your invitation is to eat ice cream. And lots of pray for lots of different things in lots of different ways. Because your Father cares for you. Now, verse 14 shifts gears a little bit. It's kind of an interesting text. And I want to show you the wrestling with the text. I mean, sometimes even on a Sunday morning, while I'm going to give you kind of meaning and what I think the text is intending, I'm going to show you some of the interpretive things that, that, that we as Christians wrestle with when you're interpreting the Bible. It seems to start with like another variable. Like remember, in trouble, verse 13, happy, verse 13, is anyone sick? Verse 14. But sick probably would have been covered by the trouble. In fact, by, in general, the word is so broad, it would clearly cover all kinds of illnesses and sickness. So what is James trying to say here? It seems that James is adding in verse 14 a more formal kind of prayer, a special prayer by the church as an institution, specifically involving the office of pastor elder. Remember that the church has two offices, office of pastor elder and office of deacon and the office of pastor elder the under shepherds and there's right now elected by our congregational church there are 12 men that serve as pastor elders me being just one of those 12. so this text is talking about that ministerial office in the local church and here's what it says it says four things and i want to hit on all of them Let them, notice that invitation. This is an invitation. It's not a guilting you. It's actually inviting you to receive formal prayer. It says, let them first call the elders of the church. I just explained who that would be. To pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Calling the elders simply means that the church... In this case, specifically the pastor elders are responsive or to be responsive to the needs of the congregation. This is their duty. This is an aspect of their ministry. Uh, I have probably hit on this before on various Sundays, but in early on in Acts, you're seeing God providentially guide the church to facilitate these offices of pastor, elder, and deacon. And there's a text early on in Acts when the, the pastor elders are just overwhelmed by the physical needs of the church body, of, of the widows and orphans and, and, and financial needs, etc. And so this office of deacon, servant is created. And the reason is because the office of pastor elder is supposed to be reserved or to focus on two things in particular, the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. And that's literally in the job description in Acts, which fits well what James Is assuming here. The language of praying over them likely indicates the physical position of the elders. It's another way of referring to the laying on of hands. It's setting them apart. It's a ceremonial posture. Like, for example, one of our former youth pastors, Jim Oakley, when he left us and became a senior pastor of a church In Michigan, after being a youth pastor here for several years, I was honored to go and speak at his installation service and be there with him. And at one point in this service, near the end, he came up and he knelt right next to the pulpit, and several individuals, the elder board from that church and myself, people from the denomination, we gathered around him and he was kneeling down. Again, notice there's a ceremonial posture of setting him apart. We weren't just praying for his sore ankle or for what's going on. We were praying for him. We were praying for his his role in ministry and we put our hands on him. We were over him, putting our hands on him. I still remember squeezing his shoulder, having just ministered with him for, for several years and I could feel him shaking a bit because he felt the weight of that moment because that was a big deal. That wasn't just, hey, this is good lasagna, let's pray real quick. That was a ceremonial moment. Again, that language of this formal prayer, includes that. Probably the most confusing, or the one that would raise the most questions, is the use of the anointing of oil. It's a bit more difficult to define. We should be aware, while it gets mentioned in the Old Testament from time to time, in the New Testament, a specific use like this is only mentioned here and in the Gospels, specifically Mark, in regard to the ministry of the apostles with certain miracles related to Jesus. Meaning there's not a lot of data samples and not a lot of clear data samples of what it might mean. It could just be a pragmatic purpose. Unlikely, but I'll throw that out there. It could be pragmatic. Like, for example, remember the story of the Samaritan who, who when, that, when, when a Jewish man was injured, like the priest and Levi all walked by, but he's like stopped and cared for the man. He used... Put oil on him, like a medicinal purpose. It could mean that, kind of suggesting to the church, hey, yeah, pray for them, but if you physically, common grace-wise can do something, do that too, and that's a fair application, but I'm not convinced that's what this is saying here. Almost certainly, and most would agree with this, it has a religious purpose. But even then, that could be understood in a couple different ways. It could be a sacramental religious purpose, meaning that the oil is a sacred vehicle of sorts for divine power. Now we have to be careful because this is the only place really. We see that being prescribed, so we don't want to stretch that too far. And we know some of our brothers and sisters have, like in the Roman Catholic Church, this very practice is done with the sacrament of extreme unction, or what maybe more commonly is called last rites. To kind of remove any remnant of sin from the dying man or woman, and to strengthen their soul, it might be practiced right like on a hospital bed, etc. Again, very common practice. I don't think this text is directing it that way, certainly at all. So, if it's not sacramental, I think it's ideal to see it as symbolic, meaning taking a cultural practice of setting someone apart, a cultural practice. Of making them the pinnacle of focus so as to present them to the Lord if it's symbolic then it's the consecration of the person for God's use and care it's setting them apart that's what we do here when we gather and we do this I didn't look up specifically how many times we've done this but Kind of a rough estimate that we probably do this four to five times a year. So on average, once every three months. A, a serious need gets brought to the elders. We receive, and again, lots of different elders might get it. I mean, I might get it. One of the other pastor elders could get it. The shepherding elder of a person might get the request. Uh, a friend may bring it up and let us know that somebody wants to be prayed for. We schedule a time. Almost always it's been after second service or after a church service, so it's happening on a Sunday when it's accessible. A couple of times it's been evenings, but not regularly. And almost every single time that I can remember, we've met in that adult classroom. So there's been a lot of prayer in that classroom for lots of reasons. And we will literally have the person share. It might take 20, as long as 45 minutes even, where the person will give us an update as, as they're willing to do on exactly what we're praying for. And we will have them sit in a chair, and oftentimes it's their spouse, it could be their kids, it could be their small group, it could be friends and support and encourager. Like, I mean, there's no limit to how we want to pray for. And the elders were literally, having heard that, as appropriate and needed, pray around them, put hands on a shoulder, on an arm, and pray for the person. And we spend time setting them apart and praying for them. James 5. you the invitation for that? In response to this text, hear the invitation from me, one of your pastor elders, or representatively, all of your pastor elders. Hear the invitation for us to pray for you. And, and realize the bent. Like, what, what is the severity that would cause that? The Bible allows freedom in that. Like, we've had knee issues, cancer issues, Anxiety and depression issues. I and mean, we've, we've had a host of issues. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that, oh, that's sorry, you're disqualified. That's low-level care. There, there isn't one. You need or want prayer from the pastor elders. You ask for it. We've never turned anybody down. Uh, there wouldn't be a need. We want to pray for people. We want to pray with people. This is part of our ministry. Part of Christ's assignment. Part of Christ's shepherding over you by using his under-shepherds in this way. And I can see the hesitation. Oh, I don't want to bring it up, or I'm awkward in front of a bunch of people. Again, I get it. Or even just, here's here's what would concern me about the pushbacks you might be thinking in your own mind. I worry that um, a sense of, the language of pride, I'm a private person. You may be, but pride also makes us private people. Self-sufficiency makes us private people. So let's call it what it is. You have to decide for yourself. But I worry sometimes when I hear, I'm a private person, that a lot of times that may be true. Some are more private. Some want to show you their bank statements, whatever, right? But the reality is sometimes that feeling of I'm a private person is self-sufficiency. It's simply pride. You were made to need people. From the beginning of the biblical story, God said you were not made to be alone. He literally designed it so every little baby that comes in this earth, by necessity has involvement of two people. And you always need people. And God knew this so well that He literally gave you a, not just biological family, whatever that can look like in our broken, fallen world, He gave you a church family. These are your brothers and sisters. You need people. And just just, just for sake of disclosure my family has had elder prayer before as we go through a difficult season we have sat in that room and in that moment i was not one of the pastor elders i was a congregant one of the members of this church and my pastor elders prayed over my wife and me with my kids present and they pray that god would be god in all things so i have done it too I've prayed over scores of people over now my 10th year here and I've been prayed for myself. So hear the invitation, not the guilt. Oh, no, go ahead and don't clean your room today. Kids, I didn't, that's, not, that's me, not your parents. Hear the invitation, let's get ice cream. Bring your requests to your Father. And when you feel like it's so severe or if you wonder if it is, ask us. Let us pray for you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the text ends with some proof of this. It wants to explain, "Hey guys, I." It's almost as James is saying, "Hey guys, I, I've explained kind of what prayer is I, and when and, and when to pray, or even how to pray with this formal elder prayer. I want to tell you why. It's because it works. It's powerful. Let me read." The text that Kyle read for us earlier, starting in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed. And the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James clearly wants to encourage Christians, God's children, to pray to the Father by pointing to God's certain ability to act. In fact, that's maybe that closing important truth. God does and will... Work through our prayers. Now the moment I say that, I bet a few questions pop in mind. Does he always? I I mean, James says it, right? He says, pray to make the sick person well. Uh, Forgive the sinner. The Lord will raise them up. He said it even gives the example of Elijah who was just like us. He's like us. He wasn't like floating around and he maybe sinned once a decade. Like he was a normal dude and he prayed and God heard his prayer and responded. Does that mean God's going to hear our prayers? Well, yes, we want to pray with boldness and expectation, but we must be careful, however, not to interpret James' word as some kind of a prayer request coupon. Some kind of guarantee of success. In fact, if you read the text when I was reading it carefully, you'll notice James even qualifies it himself. Before he speaks in 15 and following of all the things the Lord can and will do, notice he says at the beginning of 15, "...and the prayer offered in faith." That means offered in a way that makes God the one who works. Makes God the one who determines how to work. Makes God the one who decides when to work or in what ways. Notice what 15 also says about the sick. It says, the Lord will raise them. It doesn't say the prayer will raise them up or the prayer It says the Lord. I I think I've shared with many of you the story of my aunt's funeral. I was 22 when my aunt died of breast cancer. And a woman in a more charismatic Pentecostal background literally came up to my mom. I was standing right there and rebuked her and said, if you had had more faith, your sister would not be dead. Now, what does that, at the time, I wasn't thinking of James 5. I I, I didn't have the categories. I've never forgot that statement. What was that statement assuming? That my mom was the miracle worker. That it was about her ability, her power, her will. And that's a little different than the Lord's Prayer. You remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom done. Your kingdom come, my will be done. Isn't is that, Did I get that right? No. Your will be done. Or even James 4. What we talk about, we'll do this to that tomorrow. If the Lord wills. Remember what verse 14 taught us? Taught, taught the elders to pray? They're called by the church, praying over them, anoint with oil, the symbolism of setting them apart. And how do you pray? In the name of the elders. In the name of the Lord. Remember what name means in the Bible? It's not just a designation for a person. Name refers to a person's character and power. So every time the Bible says in the name, it's referring to his character and his power. So we're deferring. We're passing it on. Because we pray not in our own name or power or authority. We give that to the Lord. A prayer offered in faith is a prayer that is dependent upon God. Again, not a certain amount of faith or the faith of the one praying, but a simple faith to a sovereign God. Now, I gave you a quote there, something I'd written in uh, my commentary on John several years ago, and I I thought maybe I'd give you the wording I wrote, so I'm not plagiarizing unless I'm plagiarizing myself. But I wrote this regarding a verse where it kind of looks like a coupon for prayer request answered in Jesus' farewell discourse. And here's how I explained prayer based on the New Testament. When a Christian prays, they are agreeing to trust not only in God's sovereign and authoritative resources, but also in God's perfect and providential results. What makes the prayer Christian and not pagan is that God is not used to fulfill the desires of the person who prays, but rather the person who prays submits his or her will to both the power and purposes of God. A Christian prayer is a paradox in that it seeks from God what one simultaneously surrenders to God. Asking from God, therefore, is a letting go. It is letting God be God over all things, even the things we want or need the most. I think that it's what James says when he says prayer, a prayer... Made in faith. So what have you heard from the letter of James today? No matter what your circumstances, no matter what you're going through as you sit here, some of you just overjoyed with common grace blessings and are filled with gratitude. Others literally come in having driven for some time now on a road marked with suffering. You're hearing that your father, who knows all, loves all, gives all, reigns supreme, and has literally chosen you to be his adopted child, wants you to give to him your very thoughts instinctively. Present your requests. Sing your praises of joy. If you're sick, call your pastor elders together to set you apart and to present you to the Lord for specific address. Because the Lord loves you and he cares for you. Don't feel guilt from that. Don't ignore it as a truth merely to understand. Hear the invitation, let them pray. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your generosity and hospitality to us we cannot fathom the kind of father that you are that you care for and about the broken hearted the hard hearted the overjoyed the grateful you care about the prayers of a young little child sitting in this room and our most senior saint you care about our hip pain and our sore back our financial woes our bodily concerns our relationship struggles you care about our neighbors You care about how we use our money. You care that we think about where our food came from and who is the true provider. You are worthy of us singing praises all day long. Help us to be a people who instinctively wants to commune with you, our Father, in prayer. Thank you for this invitation that you taught us or maybe for some reminded us or even adjusted our thinking about prayer so that we could receive the relational experience as disciples of Jesus in the Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.